And to the extent that we're obedient to the Father, to the extent that we can give ourselves up, to the extent that we can detach ourselves from the material and natural world, and I'm not saying that we ignore it, but you know what I'm saying, that it's not ruling our heart, will be the extent to which we'll see the power of God and impact people for Jesus. It's very simple, but it's very hard. What are the four marks of a true believer? Father Ward explains these four marks found in Jesus' final teaching to his disciples as we continue with Life's Meaning and Purpose, an in-depth study of the Gospel of John. Hello and welcome to the Transforming Lives Together podcast. While the term Christian was initially used, possibly as an insult by those outside the church to describe those in the church, it was embraced by the church because the word meant those belonging to Christ. But what does it mean to belong to Christ? What does it look like? In Jesus' final instruction to his disciples before his eventual arrest, he sets the vision for the church, that our communion with him and with one another should be marked by prayer, obedience, love, and the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Before we turn it over to Father Ward, we would like to say thank you for your time as you tune in each week. We pray you are blessed and encouraged by the content of this podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe to stay up to date with the latest episodes. And if you have enjoyed what you're hearing from this podcast, please help us out by leaving a five-star rating and review. Your positive feedback will help us reach more people with this podcast. And now, with this week's lesson in the Gospel of John, here is Father Ward. Okay, so then Jesus goes further, something we often forget after verse 6, but verse 7 is tied into verse 6. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you know him and have seen him. The word that we translate as know does not mean an intellectual knowledge, it means an experiential knowledge. If you know Jesus personally, you know the Father. And Jesus is saying that these guys have actually seen the Father. It brings us back to what the Apostle John and why he wrote it in John 1.18 that no one has seen the, the Father. It is the Son who is in the bosom of the Father who has explained or has revealed Him. Let's continue verse 8. Uh, Philip now inquires. So we had Peter, then we had Thomas, and now Philip. Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. So uh, again, they want more clarification. And this is sometimes, this is, I hate to say it, but I've seen it on one of my family members years ago, maybe one or two of my family members. I can say who it is. It's not my immediate family, but anyway. And I've seen it in some people. Have you ever dealt with people who you try to explain them the faith and they believe, but they're always having these questions? It's like they never get it. It's so frustrating. Well, what about this? And well, they always have a problem with something. And I feel like that's what Jesus was dealing with, part, even though you know, eventually they all got it. But Philip's like, show us the Father, and, and Jesus doesn't have to show him anymore because what he's shown him already is enough. And so this is why Jesus then says to Philip, have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. 
how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative. But the Father abiding in me does His works. Believe me and I am in the Father and the Father in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. What are the two signs? And when I say signs, I mean the big, big, in a big sense. Not specific, but big sense. What are the two marks that reflect Jesus' deity in practical terms? His teachings. He spoke with authority and wisdom. They make sense. They get to the heart of what's real. They get to what's important in life. Everything you put His principles into action and you will be successful in this world. And I don't mean materially successful or naturally successful, although you will, you will impact people's lives. You will make a difference. Uh, it will be a wonderful thing. His words, His teachings, and His miracles. His works. Miracles happen. And ultimately, it's through His words and His miracles that we have the greatest miracle, and that is the transformation of the human heart. That one goes from being a sinner with a depraved heart to one who is a saint redeemed and transformed by the grace of God and the power of His Spirit. Verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will also do, and greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So now what Jesus does is he tells us what will be the marks of a believer who puts their trust in him. There's four things there that are going to be true of believers who put their trust in Jesus Christ. The first thing is that we will do greater works than he will do. You say, how in the world is that possible? Well, think about it for a moment. When Jesus was on the earth for 33 years or so. He was confined to a body. He emptied himself, Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, and he took the form of man and became obedient to death. He was limited of his power. And so he could only interact with as many people that he could during uh, you know, the 12-hour day or so. After he died and rose again and poured out the Spirit, Peter preached at Pentecost a message and 5,000 people came to know Jesus. Probably maybe more than all the 33 years that Jesus was on earth. I don't know. I'm not going to, but you get the, the point there. That now, through the work of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to see that's the second mark or the, one of the four marks of the believer, we can all impact people. We can do the same miracles that Jesus did now, we're not doing them. It's the Spirit that's doing them, but we can be vessels of the Spirit's power. Otherwise, Jesus would not have fasted for 40 days. And remember, what does it say before He went into the wilderness and fasted for 40 days? He was led by the Spirit. 
And he was then empowered by the Spirit for the work of ministry because the reason why he became flesh was not only to show us the Father, but to show us how we can experience the power of God and impact people by being vessels of the Spirit. But that means we have to submit to the Lord and follow his ways and will. And to the extent that we're obedient to the Father, to the extent that we can give ourselves up, to the extent that we can detach ourselves from the material and natural world, and I'm not saying that we ignore it, but you know what I'm saying, that it's not ruling our heart, will be the extent to which we'll see the power of God and impact people for Jesus. It's very simple, but it's very hard. It's so simple that it's difficult. So, for example... There's a priest I know and his wife. And they're in an area of the world that's really rough. And they've pretty much given up everything. And the power of God moves mightily through them. And people are coming to Christ every day. And they see miracles. Talk to anybody who has given up stuff and gone overseas, even if it's just for a short-term mission trip. They see God work. But what keeps people from stepping out in faith? There's all sorts of things. And that's fine. We're all in different places. But you see my point? Jesus is saying, you can do great things. But it's got to be on his terms. So the first thing is that greater works than these will we do. And we see that the body of Christ now is around the world, impacting millions, billions of people. So we've got millions of hands and feet of Jesus, not just one body of Jesus. But we are many members of that one body. That's number one. Number two, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do. So we need to be a people of prayer. Asking in my name means prayer. And when we pray, that means we have to be in that communication, communion with God. And when we ask anything in his name, that means under his authority. So in a sense that I, he's not going to grant me anything I do if it's not according to his will and purpose and his authority. That's silly. That's why this doesn't mean it's like a, you know, a genie in a bottle, you know, whatever you want. No, it's in my name. Not as a magic, you know, potion or, or you know, uh, you know what I'm talking about, uh, magic words. No, it's we're in prayer and we're seeking God's will and we're moving in that power because we're under his authority. We're doing what he wants to do. It's not my will. It's not my kingdom. It's God's kingdom. God's, and God says, man, if you're on my side, I'm going to be on your side. I'm going to bless you. You're going to start to see things fall into place for what you're trying to accomplish because you're trying to accomplish my purposes. So that's number two. Number three, verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's related to obedience. You know, our love is not based on obedience, but our, the blessing of God and the power of God certainly is. God's not going to bless you. God's not going to empower you if you're just doing your own thing. If you don't forgive someone, if you're nasty to someone, if you're greedy, if you're a gossip, if you're a critical person all the time, you think God's going to bless you and empower you? Absolutely not. Now, he still forgives you. He still loves you. He's still going to work with you, but you're going to be keeping yourself down. What's the fourth thing? The fourth thing actually is in verse 16 and 17 is the basis for that power and that authority and enables us to be obedient. And that is verse 16, 17, the role of the Holy Spirit. What does Jesus say? I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth 
whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. Oh, isn't this awesome? In just those two verses, there's multiple things we find out about the Holy Spirit and the role of the Holy Spirit and ways that we can debunk people who have false impressions of the Holy Spirit. The first false impression that some of the cults teach is that the Holy Spirit is a force. The Holy Spirit's not a force. The Holy Spirit is a person. How do we know the Holy Spirit is a person? There's three ways we know. First of all, Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper. The word that we translate another means one corresponding, one like. So when Jesus says, I'm going to ask the Father, and He's going to give you another helper, what Jesus is saying, I'm going to ask the Father, and He's going to give you someone just like me. The word that we translate helper is parakletos, which means one called alongside to help, one who aids. But because the Holy Spirit has so many aspects of that aiding, that help is a very generic term, and that's why you can find in different Bibles that that word is also translated as counselor, as comforter, as advocate, because ultimately there's no one word in the English language that can encapsulate fully how the Holy Spirit helps us. But it's simply easy to remember. The Holy Spirit is Jesus in us. Everything that Jesus has, the Holy Spirit has. Everything that Jesus is, the Holy Spirit is in terms of nature. Their role is different, but their nature is the same. Their purpose overall is the same too. How do you like that? I'm always not having enough glasses. And I've got, wow, two pairs. Okay, but there's more. That he, notice not it, he, a personal pronoun, not that the Holy Spirit is masculine, but we refer to him in the masculine, he's a person. That he may be with you forever. Not for a short period of time, not for most of the time, but forever. It's eternal. That is the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. Ah, salvation is a gift. The Holy Spirit is a gift. We, you cannot earn the Holy Spirit. All you can do is receive the Holy Spirit by faith. Because it does not see Him or know Him, but you know Him because He abides with you and will be in you. Notice, will be, because the full outpouring of the Holy Spirit did not come out until after Jesus accomplished His work on the cross, after He rose from the dead, and after He said, wait for the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem, and then you shall receive power. And that happened during the Feast of Pentecost. So the Holy Spirit is a gift that we receive, and that's why to be filled with the Holy Spirit comes not from obedience in terms of good works, although good works will keep the Holy Spirit in, in, in terms of empowering, but it is through denial of self, asking for forgiveness, and asking God to empower you in seeking the Lord, and then the good works will follow. But the Holy Spirit is a gift that's received by faith. And He's going to be in us. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. How is Jesus going to come to you? Through the Holy Spirit. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. That's because of the resurrection. Jesus is not conformed. does not have to worry about death. He died to show us that He has power over death. He died to destroy death. Verse 20, we have the Trinity at work right here in verse 20. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. 
How is Jesus in us? The Holy Spirit. So do you see the work of the Trinity is right here. I am in my Father. Jesus is in the bosom of the Father. We, through our faith in Christ, become in Christ. We're one body with, in Christ, right? And then Christ is in us through the Holy Spirit. That's how it works. Uh, verse 21. Now, notice we go back to the heart of what it should be about us as believers and people of God. Verse 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Getting to know Jesus better is getting to know the love of God for us better and how to show that love to others. Verse 22, Judas, not Iscariot. Now we have a fourth disciple asking Jesus a question. Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? So now we have someone concerned about the fact that Jesus is talking about disclosing himself to believers, but then what about the world? What about everybody else? And Jesus answers that question. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. Now what's neat about this is this is the Trinity in action again. Did you catch that? He keeps my word. All right, that's Jesus' word. My Father will love you, and we will come to Him and make our abode with Him. This is awesome. Think about this now. Jesus is saying, we, who's the we? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are going to make our abode, that is our dwelling place, in you, in the believer. But we know that the Father doesn't come into my heart. The Son doesn't come into my heart. It's the Holy Spirit who is the Spirit of the Father and the Spirit of the Son, who comes into my heart. And if the Holy Spirit's in my heart, it's the same as having all three, but specifically it's just the Spirit. Does that make sense? And so that one verse is just one of dozens that highlight the nature of the Trinity. That's why when we articulate the Trinity and why we believe the Trinity, it's not just something we just kind of made up. Or all of a sudden in the fourth century, as these liberals like to teach the church, all of a sudden this is what we believe. It's already here. It's already accepted. The church, the bishop simply affirmed what was already held by most of the church. It's evident page after page, just as the deity of Christ is evident page after page. Do you guys see now why this is my favorite chapter? The entire Gospel of John? Verse 24, we're almost done. He who does not love me does not keep my words. Ah, there's a wake-up call. For a lot in the church. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So there's another affirmation that Jesus is speaking the Father's word. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your, remember, to your remembrance all that I said to you. All right, so the Holy Spirit gives us that knowledge, that wisdom. He comforts us, but he also gives us peace. The result of having an abiding relationship with the Lord and having the Holy Spirit in you will be peace. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give you. You cannot find peace in this world. The natural world can't give you peace. The societal world, that is the world of man, cannot give you peace. You can have temporary peace, but all the peace that the world gives is fleeting and it's deceptive. Not so with the uh, peace of God. And as a result, he says, do not let your heart be troubled. Do not let, nor let it be fearful. 
So he's gone from, he started in verse 1, do not be troubled, don't let your hearts be troubled. He's repeating himself a second time, but he's adding, don't be afraid. Unless he did, he might have said not be afraid earlier. I have to look back. You guys can maybe look at that. But I think that's the first time in this chapter he said, do not be afraid. But if not, it would be the second time. So then he says, you heard that I said to you, I go away and I will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. Now I have told you before it happens, so that when it happens, you may believe. Another sign. I will not speak much more with you, for the rule of the world is coming. He's acknowledging the power of evil and Satan, that there is a cataclysmic battle going on between good and evil. And he has nothing in me. He has nothing on Jesus. Why? Because Jesus lives an impeccable life. His character is spotless. The only challenge for Jesus is that he is being tested by the betrayal of Judas. He's being tested by knowing that the disciples will forsake him and flee. He's being tested by knowing that he's going to have to suffer terrible agony and pain on the cross. He is being tested because for a moment he will feel as if his father has abandoned him. That's his temptation. That's his test. But he's saying, the devil, you have nothing on me. Now, the devil has something on all of us. That's why the devil's name means accuser. Satan means adversary. Devil means accuser. And he can accuse all of us before God. He can point the finger and say, hey, look at so-and-so, man. What a miserable wretch. What a hypocrite. Devil knows. And God knows. Now you say, wait a minute. I thought only God knows the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's right, but the devil can see what we do. And ultimately what we do in the privacy of our own homes or wherever we are, in the privacy of our own world, I shouldn't say homes, our friends, not everybody sees us, right? But the devil does and God does. The difference is God knows the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And only God is the one who can judge. The, the um, devil can accuse, but he can't judge. Only God can do that. But the devil's right in accusing, and so there has to be a way out, and the only way out is through Jesus the Son. Because Jesus pays the penalty for us. And because of Jesus, we're no longer guilty. And then finally, verse 31, but so that the world may know that I love the Father, so when Jesus is answering Judas, he is saying, not Iscariot, but Judas, he's saying, that, oh, the world's going to know. Once everything is done, the world's going to know. I love the Father. I do exactly as the Father has commanded me, obedience. And then he says, get up, let us go from here. So we don't know if when Jesus said, get up, let us go from there. Get, get up, let us go from here. We don't know if he remained and lingered with the disciples a little longer to continue the teaching and the prayer that we have in John 17, or if he continued his teaching on the way to Gethsemane, and then he did the prayer in that vicinity. And then remember, he asked the disciples, can you pray? And they fell asleep. And he said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We're no different than they are. We have the same issues, the same problems, but thankfully we have the same answer to our problems, and that's Jesus. Okay, let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your word again and how uh, it just speaks forth truth. We thank you for your Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is the one who takes from Jesus and gives it to us, just as Jesus shows us the Father, the Holy Spirit shows us Jesus, and that the Holy Spirit is Jesus in us. So we pray, Holy Spirit, that you can fill up, continue to fill our hearts Help us to grow in a way that we do the things that empower us and fill us by your Spirit so that we can grow closer to you and fulfill the destiny you have for us and to make a difference in our world for Christ. 
We thank you and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to the Transforming Lives Together podcast, a ministry of St. Bartholomew's Anglican Church in Tonawanda, New York. To learn more about our church, please visit stbartston.org. Again, that's stbartston.org. You can also connect with St. Bartholomew's on Facebook and Instagram through the handle at St. Bart's Anglican Church. And you can connect with this podcast through at Transforming Lives Together Cast. We hope you will tune in next time as we continue with Life's Meaning and Purpose, an in-depth study of the Gospel of John. Until then, we leave you with these verses from Paul's letter to the Romans. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. God bless.